This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. Riley turns five next week and he's having a Paw Patrol party and he wanted me to invite all of my friends. So this is me doing that. Riley, your nephew. No. Riley, I met at the pool. Oh, and okay. he would not leave me alone <laughs> and kept inviting me to his birthday party. And okay, then he made me pinky promise I would tell all of my friends. So you this better is go to his that. Paw Patrol party. Okay. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. Call me Molly Maid, because your girl has some housekeeping items, okay? Oh, oh, okay, some housekeeping. Very excited. I've never gotten to be the one to keep the house. I feel like you always get to do the housekeeping. Yeah, I'm very nervous because I don't know what these housekeeping <laughs> items are. <laughs> oh, what if I was like, this is our last episode of the podcast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's the joy about housekeeping is that I get to do it all. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Are you ready? Rapid fire housekeeping items. All right. The first item, and the one of utmost importance. Did you know it was utmost importance and not upmost importance? Did you know that? Yeah, I did. Okay, well, the first item of utmost importance. My record is squeaky clean. It's pristine. I'm a uh, model citizen. I don't want people to think that you're editing or you're lame. leading questions. <laughs> I've got a reputation to protect, okay? Just wasting all of our time to let us know what we all <laughs> already know. What is that? <laughs> You don't have any warrants out or you don't have crimes that you're waiting until the statute of limitations expires. Yes. To all of you who were actually confused, <laughs> raise your hand. Anybody? Anybody? Hey, Bueller, I might- No? Nobody? No. Okay. <laughs> I got that reference, by the way. Ooh. None of us are under the impression that you are a criminal. <laughs> Which leads me to my second point. Speaking of Bueller and movies. I had the opportunity to watch Clueless the other day. I chose not to because, like I said, I have a reputation to protect. I didn't want to spoil that for you. Tell the people what you watched. I watched the first of like one trillion movies 
of Fast and the Furious. Yes. Fast and the Furious. Had you never seen it before? I had never seen it before. I did My not God. know that My Ja God. Rule was also <laughs> Monica. <laughs> yeah. Your Ja Rule impressions are so good. And spoiler alert to everyone who has also not seen it. Apparently, Ludacris also makes an appearance, right? And like some of the other ones? Or is it just the soundtrack? We're not sure. No, he's in it. He's part of the crew. And everybody knows that except for you. Because everybody has seen The Fast and the Furious. You froze. So I'm sure that you blasted me. I, why do I know? You're laughing like you just absolutely flamed me. So don't even repeat it. It's like I yeah, won't even I'm know not, what you said. No, until this you can airs. find out when you listen to that. And my last items, ladies and gentlemen. I did follow up with Louise, who let me know that she still has the shotgun for the grapefruits, and in fact, she also has a Glock. In fact, she said, and I quote, I'm always packing, never slacking. So whatever that means, Louise wanted the people to know. Oh, no. Those are all my housekeeping items. Okay. The house has been kept. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. All right. Today, I'm going to tell you about the murder of a 19-year-old college student named, I know, named Brooke Baker. And I have to give major shouts to something I never thought I would give major shouts to, a show on Discovery+. Plus. Uh, okay. <laughs> Give credit where credit's due. You know that that has some great shows on it. I had no idea. I had been looking for information on Brooke Baker, like just who she was as a person, and I could not find it anywhere. I could find information on the crime and what happened afterwards and all this stuff, but I couldn't even find anything that would tell me where she grew up. It was really hard to even just find her brother's name who plays a part in the story. So I found out that Discovery Plus has a show called Six Degrees of Murder. And they had done an episode on her. And I decided to get on Discovery Plus, check it out, and it gave me everything I wanted. So I'm very happy with them. This sounds really sad already for me. This one I really was crying. Lovely. So just so you know where my head's at, I mean, it's, you know. All right. Sign me up for this wild ride. All right. 
It was the spring of 1997, and Brooke Baker was a journalism student at Vincennes University in Indiana. I've never heard of that. It is a small university, but it's the oldest in the state. Brooke had always been interested in journalism. She wrote for her high school paper, and she was a standout. And she had dreams of using a career in journalism to get out of this small Midwest community. She was actually the first in her family to go to college. Vincennes is a pretty rural town, the place where everyone knows each other, everyone has a white picket fence. It was a nice place to live and grow up. But Brooke was tired of the nice and the safe. She wanted to do big things. Her goal was to one day work for Rolling Stone. But before she could conquer Rolling Stone, she had to get through school. So she started a two-year journalism program at Vincennes University, which was the local university, and got on staff at the university's paper, The Trailblazer. Pretty soon, she was making a name for herself there. They were giving her a lot of responsibility at the paper. Right from the start, she was making editorial decisions, and it was clear that she was incredibly ambitious. Were you ever on newspaper staff? You strike me as a yearbook slash newspaper gal. I did yearbook in middle school, but not like real yearbook. And then I was in high school. I was on the broadcast journalism team. Despite her big dreams, Brooke was really close to her family, especially her brother, Bron, who was a year younger and he would come and hang out with her all the time. Bron really looked up to his sister and he saw her as like the success of the family. Brooke was really outgoing, and she made friends really fast. Her freshman year of college, she was staying with her friend Jason and a few other guys while she looked for her own place. She started dating this guy named Steve, but Brooke wasn't really interested in anything serious. She was pretty focused on her career. Yeah, girl. Yeah. And she just saw her relationship with Steve as kind of casual, on and off. But Steve was smitten with her. (gasps) Oh. But Brooke was more interested in the paper, and by her second semester, she was spending almost all of her free time thinking about the paper, developing stories for the paper, writing for the paper. The paper. The paper. And she decided she really wanted to raise the level of the trailblazer. She wanted to do more serious, hard-hitting pieces, more investigative work. She wanted to work at a top-notch paper, and she was determined to make the Trailblazer top-notch so that she could make a name for herself. Remember the university star? Barely. I never read it. (laughs) (laughs) They misquoted me once. I'm still salty about it. The Trailblazer would never. Well, just remember that when media comes out, you know. So you mean to tell me that the articles people post on Facebook are not all accurate? Is that what you're saying? Oh, the ones that they don't even bother to do a five-second Google search to say, like, is this accurate? <laughs> like, did this happen? Those You can, ones, like, tell the source is, like, no, not even a real. They're 100% valid and reliable. All awesome. The time. Every that's, time, yeah. That's where I get all my news. Great. I get mine from TikTok. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just about to say. Yeah. That is true. Yikes. Okay, so she wants to make the newspaper a top-notch paper so that she can make a name for herself. But on top of that, I think there were just a lot of issues that she really cared about and that she felt were often ignored or covered up that she wanted to expose. On campus or just like in general? Yeah, well, for her life right here, campus. So she turned her focus on the fraternities. Oh, no. (laughs) The Greek system held a lot of power at the school, and Brooke decided an expose was in the works. Oh, Brooke. (laughs) Don't do it. 
She was thinking about the parties, the underage drinking, that sort of thing, until there was a rumor of a cover-up of an alleged rape at one of the fraternity parties. Brooke pushed to do the story. They usually didn't cover things like this at the school newspaper. The advisor for the paper cautioned her on the story, just telling her to be careful, but encouraged her to do it. But she didn't have a very easy time. The fraternity brothers, first of all, were not happy that she wanted to do this story. Yeah, would she do like walk up to the house, knock on the door and say like, hey. I mean, she was not hiding it. Yeah, basically. But Brooke knew that if she was going to cover the story, she was going to need more access and more information. So she went to her roommate, Jason, and her friend, Brian Jones, who were both members of a fraternity, and asked them, you know, if there were any parties going on that weekend. And of course there were. So Brooke went to the party and she started asking around to see if anyone had any information about the rape. And it actually paid off. She was able to find out the name of the girl that had claimed that she'd been raped. And Brooke was not trying to hide it or keep it a secret that she was investigating these parties. Soon people knew exactly what she was doing, but she really wasn't worried about who she offended or whose toes she stepped on, as long as it was in pursuit of finding the truth. Okay. She worked on this story for weeks, doggedly and aggressively. And her friends started to get worried about her. They were afraid that she'd start getting harassed or maybe even kicked out of school. Well, did the victim want this to happen? That's my other question. Do we know that? No. We'll get into the victim very briefly. In the end, no. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that was really her choice, but we'll get into it. Brooke didn't tell many people this, but she'd been getting threats from the fraternity. They left notes on her door telling her to stop digging, to mind her own business, that she didn't know what she was getting into. And the notes escalated to a group of brothers showing up at her apartment, banging on the door, screaming, yelling, threatening her. But Brooke wasn't worried. She was determined to write the truth at any cost. She wasn't afraid of the fraternities. And her friends described her as fearless. So it seemed. Do you know what this reminds me of? What? You know, one of my Do you know what it reminds me of? Favorite movies. Oh. Well, I'm sure we're talking about the same thing. No, what are you talking about? Uh, The Skulls. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Was somebody in that movie doing an expose on them? Yeah, the guy's roommate. So he was, is it Joshua Jackson? That's his name? Pacey from, Mm -hmm. okay. He wants to be in one of the secret societies to pay for like- And Paul Walker, right? Well, Paul, yeah, Paul Walker was like a legacy and all that. And then Joshua yeah. Jackson like was trying to get in the secret society and he gets in and his roommate finds out and he's like doing like undercover. He worked for the paper or journalism or something. Oh. And he he's the one that died in the like room. Remember, have you seen this? I mean, in high school. You like, know, I'm obsessed with a school. You know, I'm obsessed with secret societies like hardcore. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's exactly what this is making me think of. Oh, Lord. Wait, what is it making you think of? Jen K from Greek. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm on season three. Well, she was in the she was in season I know. one. Oh, no, okay. I know. I'm just letting you know that I'm still watching the show that you, you asked me to watch in 2006. <laughs> yep. Thank you for that. <laughs> A part of Brooke might have felt uneasy about the trouble that she was stirring up. 
Because she ended up moving into a small house off campus in July of 1997. Her landlord at that house worked for campus security. And so I think she just felt a little safer there. Mm -hmm. Until her landlord started giving her the major creeps. Oh. He would frequently just show up at her house and he seemed to develop an obsession with her. Oh, no, boy, bye. One time, she came out of the shower wrapped in a towel, and she looked over and saw him there in her house. Uh, what? She was really freaked out. She told him that he needed to leave, and he tried to make up some excuse that he was there to spray bugs or something. But he continued to come into her house without permission. Does he think that he can do that because he's a landlord? Like, that's not how that works. I know. And she kept telling him, like, you can't just come in here whenever you want. You can't come in unannounced. Stop. And he wouldn't stop. Ugh. Ooh, I got the heebie-jeebies. Brooke did end up setting up an interview with the woman who said she'd been raped. But when she went to meet with her, the woman refused to talk to her about it. Brooke tried to get her to change her mind, but she wouldn't. And Brooke had a strong suspicion that this sudden change of heart had to do with a pressure from the fraternity to keep her quiet. It's also her choice, though. A hundred percent. Yes, it is her choice. And it's a choice that probably 90% of women in her situation would make because of the consequences of saying something. I mean, half of them don't go reported. More than half don't go reported, right? So I would say most. Not reported, much less reported in a public, your university newspaper, you know? Right. And first of all, the rapist doesn't get punished ever. It's so Mm -hmm. hard to prove. And if you do end up proving it, you know, stupid Brock Turner got three months in jail Mm -hmm. and there were eyewitnesses that pulled him off of her. So why would anybody report and risk the ridicule of your peers? Yeah, it's really sad. It is really sad. It's a problem. (laughs) It's a huge problem. But I think there's a cultural shift that's happening now. Yeah. Where they don't get ridiculed or we're going towards that. We're understanding, we're understanding victims and we're understanding that chances are they're not lying. Like it's a very small percentage of people that lie about it. Whereas I think before we just kind of assumed that anybody who said it was lying. And now we are understanding that that's, we as a society are understanding that's not the case. At least the people, the young people that are in college, I think old people still think everybody's lying, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But this just seemed to spur Brooke on even more, and she vowed to keep digging and get to the bottom of this story. A month later, on September 7th, 1997, her 18-year-old brother, Braun, dropped by her house. He had a key, and Brooke told him to visit whenever he wanted. It was a little after eight on that Sunday night when he opened the front door to find the house dark and quiet. The only sound he could hear was the trickle of water running in the bathtub. Braun called for Brooke, but there was no answer. Oh, shit. It's not where I thought this was going. (laughs) (laughs) So he went to the bathroom and he turned the water off in the tub and he noticed that there were some towels in the tub. Oh, He came out of the bathroom, and her bedroom door was cracked, and he peeked through, and he saw Brooke lying on her bed. At first, he thought that she was sleeping, her hair was combed neatly, and she was just lying there on her bed. But then he saw the blood, and he pushed the door to come closer, and that's when he realized that Brooke was dead. Braun immediately called the police. Detective Greg Winkler arrived on the scene, and he started securing the area immediately. 
there were no signs of forced entry, so detectives figured she probably knew the killer or let them in for whatever reason. Come on, Winkler. They then went into the bedroom, which detectives could tell was definitely the scene of the crime. There were signs of a violent struggle, including blood splattered on the walls. Later, they would find that Brooke had bruising on her wrists, hand, legs, pelvis, and the backsides of her elbows were consistent with a person being restrained. Hmm. Brooke had put up one hell of a fight for her life. And now she was lying nude on her bed, which was a mattress on the floor. There were signs of a sexual assault, and she'd been stabbed multiple times, twice in the chest and 11 times in the back. Detectives also found the towels in the bathtub and a bottle of bleach on the bathroom floor, as well as the kitchen sink filled with soapy water, with two empty bottles of dish soap on the counter next to the sink. The killer had tried to clean up after himself. Well, not very well. Yeah, he didn't do a great job, and the detectives were not fooled. They could see the knife under all the dishes at the bottom of the sink, and they pulled it out, and it still had blood on it. Well, also, the bedroom is a disaster. So, like, yeah. what are you covering up? There's stuff everywhere in there. Yeah. And they were able to determine that the knife they found in the sink was the murder weapon. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I mean. I know. And then he left the water running like he's the wet bandit from Home Alone. I don't know what that means, but it makes me think of Daniel LaPlante leaving beer bottles that he drank out of after. I've seen You've Home Alone. You've never seen Home Alone? I have. I don't know what the wet bandit is, though. The wet bandits were the robbers that were coming to break into their house, and one of them would leave water running because he wanted the newspapers to call them the wet bandits. So he would stop up a sink and leave the water running (laughs) and flood the houses. God. I feel like this guy thinks, I mean, I bet Home Alone, didn't that come around right around 1997? I don't know. 97 was rough for your girl. (laughs) Wait, do you really think that's why that's? Yes, I do. He's probably just as idiotic as those two. So they turned to what evidence they could gather from Brooke's body. It appeared that she'd been raped, so they took swabs, and they were able to collect a semen sample. They had the killer's DNA, because he's an idiot. Thank God. They also found DNA on her, her sheets, her mattress, and from under her fingernails. Oh, my word. So all the cleaning up in the world (laughs) wouldn't have helped. But DNA can take weeks, and in the meantime, there's a murderer out there. And detectives are alarmed, as the more they look into Brooke's life the more suspects keep piling up. Oh, well, because I'm sure they've got this fraternity fast-tracked. Right. A good investigation is going to start with those closest to the victim, because nine times out of ten, the victim knows the killer. So you start with their inner circle, their close friends, family, and then you work in concentric circles out, coworkers, acquaintances, etc. The first person they speak to is Braun. Obviously. Obviously. But he is so distraught, he's having a really hard time calming down enough to even talk to them. But Braun eventually is able to calm himself down, and he answers the police's questions, and they're able to get some information from him. They find out that she has a boyfriend, Steve, and they're immediately like, oh, okay, great, case closed. Oh. (laughs) Another girlfriend killed by her boyfriend. Great. So they bring Steve in for questioning, who tells them that he was at a party with Brooke on campus Saturday night, the night before her body was found. He said there were like 20 to 30 other students at the party, and Steve said he stayed at the party when Brooke said she was tired and wanted to go home, 
Boo. I don't like him already. He wasn't sure who she left with or how she got home. <gasps> so he sounds like a real winner of a boyfriend. Oh, uh, listen here, ladies. If your man doesn't make sure you get in the car and your car starts or you have a ride, mm-hmm. kick him to the curb. Mm-hmm. Or like leave the party, dude. Yeah. Like go with Take her. Take her home. <laughs> why didn't you leave the party? Hmm? Steve. Talk to another girl. Steve. Yeah. Is that why? That's what it sounds like to me. And Steve's alibi is hard to verify. A bunch of drunk college kids, but they don't have any hard evidence against him. And until the DNA. Before TikTok and social media, no one's right. proven you're at that party. <laughs> right. And until the DNA comes back from the lab, they don't have a lot to go on. So they just, they cut him loose. He's freaking out, though. He's sweating. <laughs> Steve is he probably sweating. is. He's probably like, I should have been a better boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Police talk to Brooke's other friends and professors, including the advisor of the paper, and they tell him about the article that she was writing, the expose. Immediately, police zone in on the fraternity as good suspects. They called the members in one by one, asking questions, making connections with the new information that they get. But the more information they get, the more it just takes them back to square one. Her old roommate, Jason, and her friend, Brian Jones, they were also suspects because they were both in fraternities. But I think they were in a different fraternity than the one that she was investigating. Yeah. The suspects were mounting, and they're trying to eliminate people, but their list just keeps getting longer and longer, and they're not able to eliminate anyone. Police didn't think that they would ever get this case solved. The aftermath of Brooke's murder was a quiet feeling of unease amongst the students at the university as they watched the headlines go by for weeks and weeks with no breaks in the case. It's a small school, too, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everyone in the community knew there was a murderer on the loose and people were scared. The escort service provided by the university was used much more actively. To be clear, an escort, like, to your ride. Like Bobcat Bobbies. <laughs> <laughs> Not like an escort service. <laughs> to be clear. A uh, rated G escort service. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. I never used Bobcat Bobbies. I know you're a big fan. I, d- I did. I liked them. Yes. That's <laughs> a good when service. You get, when you were getting Bobcat Bobbied around with your foot, when you were like had a broken <gasps> ankle or whatever your foot, and you were like hammering Bobcat Bobby. I mean, you had no choice. How do you have such a better memory than me? Yeah, I did it all the time when I broke my foot. I forgot about that. All right. So it was very traumatic for this small community. At the Trailblazer office, there was a list on a whiteboard in her handwriting that no one dared erase. No one really knew how to mourn. Everyone was just sad. Detectives were pouring over the evidence. And there was one detail, one piece of the puzzle that always really stood out to them. The fact that there was no sign of forced entry. Your first thought is that she must have let someone in or she knew them. And considering her relationship with the fraternity brothers had been pretty contentious, they figured she probably wouldn't have opened the door for them. (gasps) It's the creepy ass landlord. So that led them to someone who didn't need to be let in because he had a key. Her landlord. What a creep. Oh, my God. They got caught up to speed with the stories Brooke had told about him frequently dropping by, making her feel uncomfortable. But the more they dug into his background, the more likely it seemed that he was a good suspect. They discovered that students, especially female students, had told stories that he would watch them, spy on them. What the hell? 
so yeah, so they pulled him in for questioning. He denied coming into Brooks without permission and said that he'd been working that whole night. But even if that were true, he works as campus security and Brooks' house is half a block from campus. Yeah, so doesn't mean anything. His route would have taken him right past the house, but they had no evidence to connect him to the crime. I thought they had DNA. Well, they haven't gotten it back yet. And Ugh. investigators were getting frustrated. They had so many suspects, but until they got the DNA results back, they had nothing but suspicion and rumors. The 90s are so slow. Like, there's nothing <laughs> fast or furious about this. Like, come on. <laughs> Let's move it. Where's Vin Diesel when you need him? Let's <laughs> get to moving. Just so the people know, I cut out 25 minutes of us talking about the Fast and the Furious. Don't worry, that audio footage will be available at a later date. <laughs> Life doesn't happen biweekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. The physical evidence told them that the killer was male and that it was someone that she knew that had raped, strangled, and stabbed her. Wait, how did the physical evidence tell them it was someone she knew? 
Oh, like the entry part, not the DNA. Yeah, the not forced entry. Yeah. Oh, okay. Police knew that this was going to be a straight DNA case. They just needed to find the person that fit the profile. So while they waited for the DNA, they moved on to their next theory of the case. Brooke had posted an ad a few days before her death looking for a roommate, and police found it likely that someone had responded to the ad pretending to be a prospective roommate, and she'd let them into the house under that pretense. The fact that there was no forced entry supported that theory, but again, it would all come down to finding a DNA match. Yeah. And this whole case makes me realize, like, how important it is if you can find DNA in a case because, man, solving these things without it is so tricky. Well, a couple weeks ago on our episode when people came over and cleaned up the crime scene. Like, I understand the benefit of, like, yes, you don't want these people to come home to their son's blood on the floor, but also... Don't clean up a crime scene. And in this case, I mean, you think about, there's no circumstantial evidence. Like, right. There's nothing. There's so many suspects. You could make a case against any of them for motive, for opportunity, like mm-hmm. all of that, you know? You can't prove it. There's like not enough circumstantial evidence to prove it for any of them because it could be and any like, of them. I understand the expose, but, like, a fraternity wants to cover up a rape, so then they cover it up with a murder. Well, people would be stupid. I mean, yeah, people have done that before because they're idiots. Yes, I guess we did mention that. We <laughs> talked about one of those before. And finally, weeks later, the DNA came back, and the profile was called 137F. Police had collected dozens of DNA samples, and they started sending them in to compare. They started with the landlord, who'd given them a sample voluntarily, but he was not a match to 137F. What? He was excluded. Yeah, not the landlord. No. Mm-mm. Nope, I don't believe it. So then they test her boyfriend Steve's DNA, but he also wasn't 137F. They turned back to the fraternity members that had been threatening Brooke. 65 of them had provided their DNA. None of them matched. And at this point, 137F just seemed like a ghost, a hidden blurry figure that would never materialize into a real person. It's the landlord. He's not a match. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) know. He's a creep, though. He is definitely a a creep, yes. They were essentially back at square one. They had so many suspects, and they all looked good. Do you remember the maintenance guy at the house when you lived there? I didn't know we had a maintenance guy. The guy that came, he was like a retired firefighter. I can't think of his name. Apparently, I literally don't remember anything about my entire college Okay, which is weird, because I do not have a good memory. I have a terrible memory. I forgot about Bobcat Bobbies. What is his name? I'm going to have to text the girls, but he would like come in. He would like wouldn't announce himself sometimes. And he like never gave off major creepy vibes, but he was the one that would remember when the seasons would change, he'd have to switch over the furnaces so we could use like the heaters in the house. No, I don't remember this at all. And I was director of house core. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well it's director of house management and yeah, I was director of house like management. You didn't do a good job at your job. But one time he came over and was putting stuff I was moving in and I had like a really heavy like antique mirror. I wanted him to hang in the room because like, of course I do. And he was going around like knocking on the walls, looking for a stud to put the mirror in. He couldn't find one because, you know, the house is a piece of shit. And he's knocking (laughs) on the walls and he just goes, well, looks like the only stud in here is me. I mean, he was such a creep. That's also like the biggest dad joke. 
Oh, really? I've never heard that. <laughs> I don't know a single man that I've ever been around a stud finder. Like, they're looking for the stud, and then they're like, beep, 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 oh, we found a stud right here. <laughs> Every time. They were essentially back at square one. They had so many suspects, and they all looked good. They all potentially had a motive, an opportunity, but none of them were 137F. The landlord. It's the landlord. It's DNA, Mogab. It didn't match. (laughs) (laughs) So police just start casting out a fishing net and seeing what they catch. They start getting samples from anyone who was in the vicinity of Brooke's apartment that night. Months went by without any new leads. They started getting desperate, even considering taking DNA from the entire student population. Oh. I know, but they'd covered most of them anyway. And chances are anyone giving you DNA voluntarily in a fishing expedition like that? Yeah. They didn't do it. Yeah, you're not signing up if you're like, well. Well, actually. But investigators were determined to solve this. And honestly, for small town detectives who probably didn't get many murders, and from a definite layman's, laywoman's perspective, I'm pretty impressed with how they investigated this crime. Yeah. I mean, how easy would it have been to just, like, pin it on somebody and forget the DNA, you know? I mean, Oh, like our other 30 episodes? (laughs) Exactly. But despite their efforts, nothing was getting them closer to Brooke's killer. Samples were coming back. No match. No match. No match. The police were frustrated. The family was frustrated. The community was frustrated. The students at the university were scared. A killer was on the loose, and nobody knew who it was. Women wouldn't be out past eight or nine without a buddy. Yeah, that's a good rule of thumb anyways. But it's sad that we have to live that way. I know. And even with a complete DNA profile of the killer, the case went cold. We're still frustrated. Fast and frustrated. (laughs) The sequel. (laughs) Nobody matched. And they were worried that the killer would never be caught and would be free and loose to kill again. Jump two years later to July 5th, 1999. 1999. Nearly two years after Brooke's murder, it happened. Police were called about a missing person, a 21-year-old student at Vincennes University named Erica Norman. (gasps) Same place? As soon as detectives stepped foot in Erica's apartment, they knew that this was not just a missing person. This was another murder. And the crime scene looked nearly identical to Brooke Baker's. Detective Winkler, same detective, arrived on the scene and he noticed there were no signs of forced entry, there was blood on the walls, and signs of a violent struggle. The living room was torn up, there was a broken lamp, a table turned over, blood covering a pair of shorts, a couch cushion on the floor. Was the water running? But he hadn't connected this to Brooke Baker's murder until he walked into the bathroom. Uh. He saw water running... (laughs) because he thinks he's the wet bandit yeah with cushions in the bathtub and a thing of bleach empty on the floor i got questions about the cushions and the pillows in the bathtubs yeah me too i don't know why he would do that i guess if he's like cleaning up but like there's blood everywhere yeah like like, what are you cleaning up i don't know like especially cushions that seems like a pain in the ass like you know if you spill something on a couch cushion like i'm distraught but like sheets Mm -hmm. you can throw that in the In the laundry. Yeah, I don't know. I'm never trying to wash couch cushions or pillows or whatever. No. 
The biggest difference between the crime scenes is that Erica's body wasn't found at the apartment. Mm. But police were certain that she'd been murdered. And looking at the crime scene, there was just no way they were going to find Erica alive. But maybe now they could find the killer that they'd been looking for. Detectives start interviewing Erica's friends and learning more about her. She was studying radio and television at Vincennes, and she was vice president of her sorority, Alpha Theta Chi. The detectives discovered that Erica had spent the previous evening at a local bar. So detectives called the bar and spoke to the bartender who remembered seeing Erica the night before. They asked who she was with, and the bartender said he remembered her being with a guy named Brian Jones. That seems very generic. The name sounded familiar to detectives, and they quickly put the puzzle pieces together. Brian Jones was also a friend of Brooke Baker's. He was the one that lived with... Mm -hmm. Jason. Jason, Mm -hmm. yeah. He was the other fraternity brother. They thought it might just be a coincidence. Vincennes is a small town, but they quickly went to grab his file from the Brooke Baker investigation and see if his DNA was a match. But there was a huge problem. There was no DNA sample for Brian Jones. Oh, no. Somehow, he'd managed to get by without giving a DNA sample during the Brooke Baker investigation. How? Well, being a university town, Vincennes is pretty transient. People moving in and out all the time. Brian Jones happened to leave town right after Brooke's murder before giving a DNA sample, and police hadn't been able to track him down. Well, that seems convenient. Yeah, and why this didn't stand out to detectives, I can only assume, is because they had, like, a hundred other suspects. And Brian had only really been on their radar because he was a friend of Brooks and he was in a fraternity. That's it. But everyone thought he was really nice, he wouldn't hurt a fly, just a really great person. So I think he just got lost in the shuffle a bit. He wasn't, like, their top priority. He didn't seem like a good suspect. Right. But he's not lost anymore. He's now someone connecting Erica Norman to Brooke Baker. And he happened to be back in Vincennes. So police bring him in for questioning. And they deliberately focus most of their questions on Erica's disappearance. And he's pretty cooperative. He says that he was at the bar that night, the night before with Erica, and that they went back to her apartment afterwards. They rented a movie. And he says that Erica fell asleep while they were watching it. And so he just put a blanket over her, and then he left. Just, you know, the perfect gentleman. Yeah. I mean, I, I know guys like that. I, I mean, yeah. Right. Police ask if they can search his car, and he's like, sure. They ask if they can search his house, and he says, yes. They ask for a DNA sample, and he says, okay. Oh. He gives them a DNA sample without a court order, thinking that they're only looking into him for Erica Norman's disappearance, and he knows they don't have a body. Mm. He doesn't realize that they're going to run his DNA against the sample from Brooke Baker's case, which oh, just boy. sounds like a huge oversight, my guy. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you left the apartment looking exactly the same and you don't think they're going to connect those dots with the sink and the bathtub. I mean, and home alone <laughs> and home alone, you wet bandit. Don't give him that satisfaction. That's what he wants. <laughs> to be an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trash human. But they did run his DNA against the sample in Brooke's case, and the lab basically put it at the front of the line. 137F, sucka. (laughs) But they'd run so many samples, and each one had come back not a match, that detectives kind of figured this was just going to be another dead end. But it wasn't. 
But it wasn't. The sample matched. 137F had a name, and it was Brian Jones. Detectives were filled with a mixture of emotions. Relief that they'd finally identified 137F, sadness that it had taken another death for them to figure it out, and determination to get him arrested. Yeah, shouldn't be that hard, right? Right, they immediately arrest him. Okay, great. I was like... (laughs) Even though Erica's body hadn't been recovered, the DNA match to Brooke Baker's case is obviously enough to get him. Well, and then you can probably get him start talking, you know? Like, you left these crime scenes looking the same, no? No, because suddenly seeing the evidence against him, Brian isn't so cooperative anymore. (laughs) Less less willing to chat. He wouldn't say a word about Brooke Baker's murder. So police went to Brian's friends and other witnesses to see what they could get from them. And after speaking with them, investigators think that they finally have the truth. And part of this is speculation on the part of the detectives because they didn't get a full confession from Brian. But this is the story of what happened that matches the evidence. For who, Brooke or Erica? From Brooke. Brian was at a party a couple blocks down the street from Brooke's house. And at some point in the night, after Brooke had already left the party and gone home, Brian came by and knocked on the door. He was her friend, so she let him in the house. He wanted to have sex, Brooke wasn't going to do it, and the fight was on. He got mad and decided to force her to have sex. He raped her, but then he realized, okay, now I need to kill her to cover up the rape. He stabs her with a knife from her own kitchen and then tries to clean up the scene. He fills the kitchen with soapy water, throws the knife in there, takes some items into the bathroom, turns the water on, and walks out into the night. Nobody sees him, and he gets away with it. Until he does it again to Erica Norman. Like, what? This guy's like a college student. Yeah. I mean, not that that, like, exempts you from being a total psycho creep, but it's just weird to me. I mean, he had a social life. He had friends. young guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like not like, yeah, like you said, stranger danger, creeper in the night, you know. Like, of course she let him in. It's her friend. Exactly. A week after Brian Jones was charged with Brooke Baker's murder, Erica Norman's body was found in a tub in a cornfield a few miles away in eastern Illinois. And now police have enough to charge him with her murder. He pleads guilty to killing Erica, who was a 21-year-old woman who loved music and her church and her friends and family and her dog Smokey. Oh, it's a good boy. <laughs> I bet he was a good boy. But Brian denied killing Brooke, and he went to trial. Mm. He says all the evidence shows is that he had sex with Brooke, not that he murdered her. But the jury is like, no, it doesn't, and they find him guilty. Yeah, thank goodness, because it's the stupidest <laughs> shit I've ever heard. It reminds me of the guy, the Angela Simota guy, who said... Mm. Yeah, I know that I had sex with her 20 minutes before she was murdered, but I left and somebody else came in and murdered her after I had left. That guy also said he's never been violent during sex and he was literally in jail for being violent (laughs) during sex. So there's that guy. Uh, You mean people are liars? Is that what you're telling me? (sighs) Not the people I hang out with. Yeah. So he sentenced to life in prison without parole. It's good that he's in prison, obviously. It's, you know, where he needs to be. I feel like he was a serial killer in the making. Like, there's Mm -hmm. no doubt in my mind about it. He already had a signature going on with the wet bandit thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he also seems charming enough that, like, he killed Brooke and then still had female, like, still had friends. Mm -hmm. Like, no one 
suspect that. He obviously probably mm-hmm. didn't tell anyone. I mean, he definitely could have kept flying under the radar. Mm-hmm. And I think, I didn't read this anywhere, but I kind of think the reason why he took Erica's body was because he realized that his slip up in the Brooke Baker case was that he'd left his DNA on her body and mm-hmm. like her sheets. So the next time he'd taken measured steps not to leave that behind this time. And if he'd gotten away with it, he still seems like a great A idiot, though. Yeah, I mean, he was definitely going to get caught because he left his DNA and he was a dumbass. But I think that if he had gotten away with it, he would have continued to kill. And he probably would have gotten bolder and bolder each time until he finally was caught. Mm -hmm. But two women had to die. You know, two families were torn apart. He ruined so many lives. The entire community of Vincennes was affected. Friends, family members. And I think that the real tragedy of this whole thing is that Brooke never got to be the person that she wanted to be. She had so many dreams and aspirations, and she really believed that her reporting, her seeking the truth, could make a difference in people's lives. And one of her friends that was interviewed in this episode I watched, her name was Shauna, she had this great quote about Brooke. She said she was a 19-year-old girl out to grab the world. And after her death, it was like something was missing, just ripped from everybody, like having a color TV and then it turning black and white. Mm. And I felt like there was a similar sentiment after Angela Simota's death. Like her friends said similar things about her, about how she was so vibrant. And after she was murdered, that it just took a little bit of color out of the world. I guess all that to say that when a person is murdered, the victims of the crime spread so much farther than just that person. You know, it's everyone who's now lost that person. And it's Mm -hmm. sad. I feel like, well, yes, it's very, very sad. I feel like you telling this story, though, is like a way. Like, I think Brooke would have really appreciated your reporting. Oh, thanks. I hope so. She seemed like, I don't know, just like somebody that didn't have to die. You know, like, I guess none of them have to die. but. I know it's I want to hang out with all these people like our girl gang would be so big like Angela Simoto what a queen you know Brooke seems awesome Lavina Johnson I mean ugh. I know I know I can't handle it there's this okay there's this TikTok that I think 27 people have sent me at least (laughs) it's like me with the Waffle House TikTok yeah And it's this one about what's something that true crime, that watching true crime documentaries has taught you. And the girl's like, that if you have a smile that lights up a room, <laughs> yeah, you better count your days because they're numbered. <laughs> I'm yeah, like, that's true. It is true. And I don't know. It makes me think back to when I, I remember my mom when I went off to school and her being so like, which my mom is not, we've all talked about Louise, you know, she's not overly protective. Like she's sure. obviously loves me, but she's, you know, lets me kind of like do my thing. And I remember being in college and she, I mean, almost like paranoid, like constantly like, and I remember feeling so safe. And now looking back, I'm like, I was definitely an idiot. Like I would walk on campus, you know, we'd walk mm-hmm. from like the library to the DG house, you mm-hmm. know. I took Bobcat Buddies. Thank you very okay. much. <laughs> well, I didn't. <laughs> and I think about all that and I'm like, of course, like, of course she was paranoid. She talks all the time, like, you know, my biggest fear is you were at school for five years or whatever. And it's just like, I've never felt like anything could happen. And of course it could have. Like, 
Of course. I didn't even have a cell phone that I could use half the time (laughs) because it wasn't after nine. (laughs) I also think that we should take proper precautions. You know, I, I think that we should stay vigilant, stay aware of our surroundings, take the precautions that you need. But I also think that going through life, being afraid all the time is also not a way to live. Oh, for sure. Right. And it's like, why do women have to keep, I mean, like all the things we have to do because men suck, you know, certain men suck. No, I agree. I And I, I think that's another thing that's changing just culturally is that we're starting to put a little bit more accountability on men, which is nice, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is. You know what, though? Shouts to the good men in college. Major shouts to Ryan Spencer, the guy that probably escorted me to all of the places in college and did tuck me in a few times and make sure that everything was good. Major shouts to those people, you know? Put that blanket over you. Yeah, everyone get you a Ryan Spencer. <laughs> Dependable as hell, you know? And like, <laughs> he really does deserve the shouts. All right. And that is the story of the murder of Brooke Baker and Erica Norman. That's really sad. Yeah, this one hit me really hard. Because we all know a Brooke and an Erica, you know? We all know Brooke. Yes, exactly. Because you were the Brooke. You would be the one doing the expose. I think I did relate a lot to her, you know? I mean, I don't. I think she was better than me. I don't think that I would have been that dogged and determined. I wouldn't have been too afraid that they wouldn't like me. I would have been too afraid of what they thought about me to stand up to them like that, like the way that she did. And I don't know. I just think that, I don't know. She was cool. Mm-hmm. It's sad. It's freaking sad. The organization that I want to highlight today is one that we have highlighted in the past, but one that I think is so important, and that is End the Backlog. Oh, yeah. So End the Backlog is an initiative of the Joyful Heart Foundation to shine a light on the backlog of untested rape kits throughout the United States. It's pretty awful, the amount of untested rape kits, but... It's amazing the progress that we have made all across the country in most states. There are still some states that have not taken steps to end their backlog. So basically what the backlog is, is untested rape kits that sit on a shelf and never get tested because, as you saw in this episode, it takes so long to run the DNA like that. So this organization helps to pass laws that make it to where you you have to test kits within a certain amount of time. They work to get funding to test these kits. It's a really great organization, and that is endthebacklog.org. Well, and you also talked about how those kits are, you know, obviously traumatizing to complete for the victim, having to go through that, and then they just sit there. It's like, you know, traumatic all over again. Yeah, it really does feel like you're just being violated all over again. It's a really an awful thing to have to go through after you've already gone through something like that. And so, and the backlog.org will put the link in the show notes. So check them out. They're a great organization. And, you know, we'll continue to talk about them till we end this freaking backlog. Yeah, in the backlog. Thanks, peeps and creeps, so much for listening. We would love for you to follow us on social media at Creepers Pod and, of course, join the Facebook discussion group. You can also email us any feedback or case suggestions or just email me and let me know if you've also seen The Fast and the Furious and what you <laughs> They've thought. all seen The Fast and the Furious, Smoke <laughs> If you've seen it recently, 
Also, a big thanks to everyone who has left us a review on Apple Podcasts. Mogab. Did you see? Did you see? Yeah, we're at 200. We met our goal. We met our goal. We got over 200. Thank you so much to everybody who left us a review. Now we have a new goal. If you haven't yet, we would so appreciate it. We would just love it if you could get on to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and a review, and be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you'll have our next episode as soon as it drops when I'll tell Mogab another wild story. I have no idea what it's going to be. Bye, peeps and creeps. Bye.